0: You can live a life, full of love and light, if you just let the spirit guide you. It's the remedy, where you'll find peace, but you must let the spirit, spirit guide you.
1: Who made y'all praise?
2: what's up world this is our
1: what's going on good people this is our o'shea Un. welcome back to the who made y'all priests podcast where we talk about our spiritual journeys our everyday life experiences and the issues of the time from the perspective of two people who just happen to be priests Fafore, man i see you with the magenta on man with the mahu magenta man you know that you know that's magenta when you bought it that's what that's how you ordered it exactly from <laughs> amazon, from, from amazon <laughs> you put on that, you, you put on amazon magenta magenta t-shirt <laughs>
2: no nah, man this is hot pink you know what i'm saying i'm feeling sexy in my hot pink you know i felt like because of you know the person we got interviewing today who coming to speak with us. It just, you know, was sitting throwing a little hot pink. I felt a little sexy. So I could I, match my skin know, tone a little bit.
1: You know what that makes me remember is the post that you put up on Facebook about uh <laughs> the dudes in the gym. Doing exercises to get their booties big. <laughs> and my response was, look at God. Ooh. Now you wearing hoochie shorts, <laughs> hoochie Daddy doing the same thing. And, yeah.
2: You know, <laughs> hey, so, you know, as we always mention, our Luo always talks about how e-fires change, right? So... You know, as you learn and, and you go through this life, sometimes you got to progress and, and change, move forward. Some of the things that you thought about yesterday, some of the things that you applied yesterday, you realize just through experience, you know, no longer work for you. So, you know, I was like, you know what, the hoochie daddy shorts is kind of all right. And, and, and now it makes sense. The exercises they were doing because they was getting themselves prepared. You know right. for the hoochie daddy shorts so i was like you know hey so yeah you know now i'm in the gym doing hip thrusts. you know what <laughs> i'm saying and and you know uh deadlifts and, and all that good stuff you know i ain't doing the one yet i usually only see women doing that like where they kick the one leg you know out front and then they do it one leg at a time like i ain't oh, yeah. i ain't started doing that yet what about, uh, the, what about the one where you put
1: the barbell on your hip and and uh and thrust up. You be yeah, doing, that's hip thrust. Oh, that's the hip thrust.
2: Oh, you be oh yeah, I'll oh, yeah, be in there getting
1: them. I'll be dying laughing when I came <laughs> Hey, <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> I'm
2: gonna die laughing. <laughs> hey, hey, I'll be in there getting them. You know what I'm saying? Like my, my weight ain't all the way there yet, because I'd be seeing women in the gym killing the hip thrust. I mean, it be stacked on there. Like right. how me have it on the bench press. So, you know what I'm saying? I ain't there with it yet, but yeah. Hip thrust and I do the, um, now I always mess miss this up. I don't know if it's abductor or adductor, but it's the one where you sit down and then oh, yeah. like the pad be on the like on your knees and you yeah. push your leg out like that. Yeah,
1: that's called a peekaboo. That's what that's called. <laughs> <A> peek- <laughs> <laughs> that's called a peekaboo. <laughs> you I doing
2: the peekaboo? Mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like Hey, nah. nah, nah. that's hilarious. Nah, I'm yeah, I'm gonna walk I mean, past man. you.
1: I'm gonna walk past you with my basketball <laughs> and be like, "This the same dude telling me he gonna beat me. He gonna beat me one on one." Yeah, doing hip thrusts and peekaboo Yeah,
2: because you ain't <laughs> got no abductors <laughs> like you need. <laughs> you ain't even. So sure that's what it is. Abductor, <laughs> no, abductor. I'm just gonna call it. I think it's abductor. You ain't got no abductors. <laughs> you know what I'm saying so you're not gonna be able to, to handle me on the box you know what I'm saying so tell you man so hey this is this is my new thing that I tell people we are all bodybuilders so it's up to you to determine the type of body you want to build you know what I'm saying so I'm trying to get calves you know what I'm trying I'm trying to get you know Booty and and chest bag and everything. You know what I'm saying? I'm I'm gonna hit it all. You know what I'm saying? Four arms, we get
1: all of it. I feel you. I ain't judging you at all. Just a
2: little bit, but not a whole lot though. All right, listen. (laughs) When I bust out these hoochie daddy shorts this summer.
1: It's gonna be different than last
2: summer. Way different. (laughs) Now that I'm hip to the hip thrust. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm getting I'm getting deep in my squats. Yo. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. I feel, you. I feel you, yeah. man. I feel
1: so, you. So that's why we make it, that's why we make a good team, man. Some things you going to do that I ain't going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some things I'm going to do that you ain't going to do. So, you know, we like complementary <laughs> opposites, man. I feel
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but you know, all this talk about deep squats and hip thrust you know, just put me in the whole space of, you know, this week's show. So you want to just hop into
1: it? Let's get it, man. Ebeji,
0: aborough boye. What's going on, man? Aborro boye. How boyata Wolfa how y'all fellas doing? Man. Good, man.
1: Good. We glad, we glad that you could take some time out of your busy schedule, man, to come kick it with uh with your Ebegis, man. It's been a long time since we talked to you last time.
0: Most definitely, most definitely. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate the invite. Oh yeah. Yeah, man. You looking good. Well, you know, beer came back in, so you know, that's always yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. It's like you hydrate. You know yeah. you get
2: your it's yeah, like you getting your eight glasses of water in today.
0: day. Yeah, you know, I've been, I've actually been actually making a a uh, concerted effort to be a little bit healthier. Um, I gotta get this COVID weight off at some point. So, you know, we just putting in the work little by little.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That's the that's the Virgo thing to do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We come I here can to see, be healthy. I can see your eyebrows now too. I can <laughs> see like all the way see them. I can all the way see your eyebrows. Jimmy's still struggling. Before he, he he's struggling.
2: <laughs> hey man, my eyebrows wasn't thing to begin with. All right. right. I was trying. To, I was gonna to ask to get a doctor's note.
0: <laughs> yeah, catch oh, one hearing that, yeah. Not, yo. Yeah,
2: so I can yeah. get excused from that uh part of the
1: experience. <laughs> right, right, right. Mm. So introduce yourself to the family. Tell us who you are, what you do. Tell us about yourself.
0: All right. So uh, I am Awol Um I am a priest of Arumana, uh, a veggie to y'all and the rest of it. our brothers uh, from that glorious experience in 2021. Um, you know, I am a I'm just a priest trying to figure it out, like everybody else, you know? I
1: should. I should. So as is customary on the Who Made Y'all Priest podcast, where we talk about our spiritual journeys, Uh, everybody that we interview, we ask them about their spiritual journey and the trajectory that led them eventually to uh, E5. So talk to us about that. Tell us about uh, any spiritual systems that you may have dabbled Mm -hmm. in before getting to E5. Tell us about that
0: sure um i come from the church so both of my parents are christian ministers and i come from a long line of ministers and church officials i grew up in church and when i say i grew up in church i spent more time in my home church than i did in my house Mm -hmm. (laughs) growing up um and i did that till uh i graduated high school um and so i grew up with christianity as sort of just a fact of life this was the objective reality of the world and that's just how i lived and approached things um When I went to college, that was an eye-opening experience because I was meeting people who had never been to church before, um, who were practicing different traditions. And as I was sort of um, thinking about how they were living and what their perspectives in life were, um, I found myself unable to be able, unable to sort of maintain sort of the faith that I had been brought up with mm-hmm. because I couldn't, logic my way to being like, okay, well, my way or the way I was raised was right or better than any of their, they were all good and decent people who had convictions that were just as strong as mine. And so I just couldn't map out the difference between what I was doing and what they were doing. So at that point, I just started exploring. So I have studied Islam, I've I've studied uh, Buddhism, I've studied, Hinduism for a little while um it was just a matter of just exploring and understanding these other cultures and what their perspectives were and how that uh challenged you know what i grew up with and what i came from and eventually i found e5 rest is history mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so being that you grew
2: up in the church the way you did and for so long like that was your foundation what was it about e5 that when you
0: found Ifa, you were like,
2: Yeah, this is it right here.
0: Um, so I don't have a pretty answer for that. because uh, it's not a it's not a it's not a concise thing. Ifa uh-huh. just made a certain kind of sense for me that just felt right. Um, you know, I I had played, I'd gone back to church like a couple times to see if like it was still real for me. Mm -hmm. Um, because for me, religion isn't like a fact thing. It's a feeling thing. It's about meaning. And I had just gotten to a point where it had stopped meaning what it used to mean. Um, Mm -hmm. It was more nostalgia than what it was anything. Um, Ifa was unique in the way that it approached the world. And I found that very, very interesting. And uh, it just felt like something I needed to keep diving into, so I did. Mm
2: -hmm. That's dope, that's dope. Kind of a a similar story with me, I mean, Mm -hmm. I fell in love with, you know, I also studied Hinduism, Buddhism, all that different stuff. I fell in love with Taoism. So I was looking for Taoism that had a cultural connection,
0: mm-hmm. you
2: know, cause uh, if I had found me a, a Mr. Miyagi, who uh, that might've sounded a little racist, but that's not what it, <laughs> that's not how I meant it. But if I had found me an, an Asian man or a woman who was, you know, uh, very well versed in Taoism. I probably would be <laughs> Taoist right now. But yeah, I was just looking for the same type of energy, the same type of feeling, just with some kind of cultural connectivity. So,
1: Right. And it was yeah. pretty much the same for me. Uh, once I found Rosicrucianism, I feel like I had the benefit. <clears throat> this may sound bad, but I had the benefit of not growing up in the church, of not uh, having mm-hmm. Christianity forced upon me. And it wasn't until I went to prison that I started to dabble into the Bible and then started to consider myself to be a Christian. But it wasn't until I found Rosicrucianism and fell in love with the mystical and the esoteric that eventually led me to E5. But it's similar to 548 in that I fell in love with the principles and the teachings but there was no cultural connectivity. There was nothing inside of it that looked like me. And I felt like the Rosicrucians did everything they could to make that so. Mm-hmm. Even though they traced their history back to Egypt, even though they traced their history back to Africa, everyone, no one looked like me. So I eventually found E5 myself. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you did a little bit more than dabble in Christianity. I mean, the word on the street is that you was winning souls for Jesus <laughs> in, in, in the cell block. You was like you were like the Paul yeah. <laughs> of the cell block.
1: Hey, the Bible say, go and make disciples.
2: Uh-huh. And that's what you were doing. <laughs> <No. laughs> go
1: and make disciples. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So so
2: besides being an ephi and being a priest of ephi you find yourself as a member of another community. And that's really what we want to talk about here today. And um, so you, um, I don't know the, the, maybe the right word, practice or a part of the uh, BDSM community. Um, tell us about BDSM, what exactly that is and how did you get involved in that?
0: Okay, so um, BDSM, is a community that's sort of built around alternative sexual practices. Um, so there's all the dramatic stuff, the, bi- the bondage, the masochism, sadomasochism, all of that kind of stuff. Those are all ways of just exploring uh, the way that power and transfers of authority can impact our sexual experiences. And there's just a community that's built around that because obviously that's an alternative sexual practice, something we don't really do here in the mainstream. Um, <clears throat> you know, sort of in our mainstream um, sexual sort of uh, understandings, uh, it's not really accepted in a lot of places. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like for example, you know, if you have a security clearance and they catch you out here, you can lose your security clearance, you lose kids, that sort of thing. Um, and that that tends to be something that was uh, a little bit more prevalent um, in you know a year's past, but now there's a level of acceptance where um, it's a lot easier to talk about it openly. Um, I've been a part of the community, I wanna say maybe about 14, 15 years now, and I am uh, actually an educator there. So I teach people um, how to participate in a a way that's safe. And I've been doing that for, I wanna say about five or six years Um, now. I blame my participation in this community on sort of two things. So uh, the Janet Jackson Velvet Rope Tour I don't know if you remember. <laughs> remember, but she used to um, strap a dude to a cross, um, and they were like straddle dude and gyrating. And I remember being 12 years old, because it had to be like 99, right? And every year 12 years old looking like, I want to do
2: that. Like um, you were at the concert, or you saw this like something? I saw on, this on, uh, this was,
0: an, she, the Velvet Rope Tour was like on HBO, so like, they're, like, um. like you know how Renaissance doing like the movie now? It was like that, but yeah. they used to do that on HBO. They would show the concerts in HBO. And I was we had HBO free weekend. And so I was walking out and I was like, Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the start, like that image was like burned in my head. Um, and then after that, uh again, another product of free HBO weekends was the real sex documentaries. Classic. And so the real sex documentaries, like I'm 12, 13, ain't got no business watching real mm-hmm. sex, but I got TV in my room, so that is what it is. So I'm, I'm watching that and I'm looking at all of this stuff. I'm 12, 13 years old, you know, hitting puberty hormones, going crazy. And I'm learning a lot of stuff I probably had no business knowing. So that's kind of the start.
2: Right, wow. right. Wow. Who made y'all priests? Episode two, the king priest.
1: <laughs> Take two. So um, we talk about these communities um, and in prior episodes, we talked about the LGBTQIA community. Are those synonymous? Uh, do they overlap? Are the LGBTQIA community part of the BDSM
0: community as well? Yeah, uh, there's actually significant overlap. Mm-hmm. Part of that is because um, being a part of that community, what happens is, is that you know, you're located outside of sort of the norm. You're an outcast. You're an outlaw. And so um, part of, I want to say, the coping process is that you kind of embrace that identity of being an outlaw. Mm. And so you look for other outlaw shit to do. Um, mm. Because you don't have examples of queer sort of sexuality um, in mainstream media like heterosexual folks do, um, you know, you start looking for other different things and, and you get into exploring. So you see a higher incidence of like polyamory, uh, multiple, you know, kind of relationships and things like that in queer communities. You see uh, heavy investment into, um, you know, things like kink and BDSM, uh, you know, because it's just an outlaw thing to do to a certain extent. But also, like people, everybody's sort of exploring. You're, you're when you're sort of queer, and you know, world doesn't make space for you in that way. You start finding the spaces that work for you and queerness, mm. and kink happens to be a space that's safe for queer people. Um, a lot of what is done in the kink community is actually from queer people. So that's places where queer folks are actually leaders and are. The cultural generators for what goes along, what happens a lot in uh, kink. There are kink subcultures within the subculture. So, if you want to talk about the leather subculture, which is an aspect of, uh, or a subculture within the kink subculture, um, you know, those are all queer men and women, you know, that have sort of started that off and sort of created sort of that iconography, the look. Um, I don't know if you all have ever watched the police academy. You remember that bar that they went into? <laughs> yeah, I like, remember that bar. Right. Those are leathermen, right? You know, like I'm I know people um uh, who knew the folk who were in that movie. Um participating, mm. you know, you know, who know that subculture who are around those kind of places, you know, um, you know, who have sort of that history. Those folks are still alive and kicking, um, for the most part. You know, so. The, there's a lot of lot of overlap, you know uh, with queer communities just because it's an accepting one of the primary rules, i guess I guess the highest moral and ethical value in kink is consent. So what two people decide they want to do with each other is their business, and there's just no judgment mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: so you talk about kink
2: and you talk about BdSM, so I'm assuming they're not necessarily the same, maybe like it's levels to it or different. So, so, so break that down to like the difference between your use of BDSM and kink.
0: So when I'm saying kink, I'm generally referring to like maybe a specific practice or a specific uh, activity. Um, so like if you like to spank your partner or you like to tie your, tie them up or whatever, like that's a kink. That's a thing that you really like during your, Sexual activity, or maybe the sexual activity in and of itself. When I refer to BDSM, I'm really kind of talking about the subculture at large,
2: which is the the ball and gag and being tied up. And-
0: well, all of that stuff is; those are specific kinks or specific fetishes. Like, BD- mm. when I talk about BDSM as like a whole, I'm talking about like the community. So, oh, like, okay. Uh, you know, folk, you go out to eat dinner with folk who are showing up at your uh, at your weddings and your funerals, that kind of thing.
2: So BDSM is like saying LGBTQIA+ plus and kink is like saying tranny or lesbian mm, kind of. Um I
0: would I, I I would say the difference between that is that when I'm talking about uh uh the BDSM community, I'm talking about the people, right? Oh, okay. You know, I'm talking about the people kink, a kink, or is is an activity? It's a thing that you do. Like wax play? Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, I... <laughs> just for... <laughs> Don't tell hey, too much of your business. <laughs> hey, no, no, no. So, just for the purposes of this show, you know, I had to do a little bit of research. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? So... I can be somewhat um, informed and intelligent as I'm having the discussion. Right. So, yeah.
1: Now, most people's for, uh, frame of reference for anything spiritual is the church. And they may hear you say that you are a priest and at the same time talking about things like kink and BDSM. And that may ruffle a few feathers. That may uh, be abrasive to a lot of people. So what do you say to those people who say, how can you be a priest and simultaneously be a part of the BDSM or the kink community?
0: Well, I answer that question with a question and say, in saying, who says I can't?
1: Mm. Right? Mm. That, that's always
0: my response to that. Um, because what I want to do is I want to draw attention to the assumptions that people are making about what it means to be spiritual and about what the kink subculture is all about. Mm. Um, I understand why people have those assumptions. You know, we live in a very sex-negative culture. Um, it is not unheard of for people with spiritual authority, or you know, with authority in general, to abuse that to coerce sex out of people. Um, you know, we live in a, in a in a in a patriarchal society where violence is a thing that happens, and there is violence in BDSM. It's consensual, but nevertheless. Um, <clears throat> So I understand why the red flags are there. Uh, when we're talking about Black folk, there's a lot of cultural p- trauma uh, around sex and sexuality, and not just in terms of sexual assault, but generational trauma in terms of being exploited, having sexual se- stereotypes about our communities, and that impacting how we are treated, how we are handled in society. Um, there are sexual economies of slavery, um, you know, that have you know some significant and tremendous. Um, impacts on our culture, you know, throughout the generation. So I understand why folk have those hangups. You know, when we talk about uh, Christianity, um, you know, that being people's dominant frame of reference when it comes to spirituality, you know, you have Thomas Aquinas, St. Augustine, Clemens, I want to believe, you know, whose sexual politics, you know, or our teachings on sexuality are very very negative. You know we have this uh, separation between the mind and body here in Western society. You know being based off you know the Greeks and Romans to an extent. You know where we present anything that's of the mind as being higher, as being the, you know the high vibrational thing, and anything of the body is then low vibrational. You know so you have all of these different parts of our socialization. Um, at work that is impacting what we believe is spiritual and what we believe isn't what we believe is dirty, what we believe is pure or whatever. And so, you know, my existence and being into the things that I'm into kind of challenges that. So I just follow through with it. I just ask them who says I can't.
2: Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. We talked last season, uh, we had an episode where we talked about, you know, in E5, we really don't have we haven't created a culture so what we did was since the majority of us either a left the church or was kind of church adjacent you know like oh i will said, you know i he didn't grow up in church i didn't grow up in church i think that's one of the best things or one of the best decisions my mother made as far as is you know the way i was raised because i wasn't born or i guess groomed to have a bias. Mm-hmm. So I was able to kind of just go out and take a look at everything and make my own choices about, you know, what fit me best. But because sex is so taboo in the church and we don't have a a culture or a cultural identity when it comes to spirituality, we just use what we knew. And, you know, when it comes to sex, we, for the lack of a better word, we get really weird you know, uh, uh, about things of that nature. So it makes sense to why we would kind of mm-hmm. have that, you know, that that experience, or we would re- relate sex as negatively as we do or make it so taboo. But you but, know what's um, you know what
1: hard for me to understand is that in the same communities where sex is so taboo, are the communities in which the most sexual abuses occur like um uh, talking about the catholic church and those those priests that have uh this vow of sanctity and then we hear all of these uh allegations of them molesting children so it seems that wherever sex is taboo is its most taboo i think we have to watch those those people in those communities who speak so negatively about sex and about the body. What do you think about that, uh, Awol let me...
0: Um, I think of it in terms, I think when, I think we just generally have, um, particularly as we look into Christianity, I think they have a real problem in terms of reconciling with the body, right? Our sexual urges are natural, um, mm-hmm. but the theology, is rooted in like if you go and you read St. Augustine, you read, say, you know, Thomas Aquinas, you will see them talk about like marriage as the compromise for your inability to control your sexual desires. Mm-hmm. Like the ideal is that you are able to sort of exert the necessary self control and devote yourself fully to Christ. And the church has never really gotten away from that as a sort of foundational doctrine for how we deal with sex. Precisely because it's so taboo, right? Right. And these are just natural urges. And so you have to, and so like, when I think about what it is to have these urges and then not have an outlet, you know, and the internal friction that that causes, and then thinking that then, you know, you know, heaven forbid you gay, right? Or lesbian or bi, you're in those spaces where not only you can't, you know, you feel constrained sort of in, your ability to go and have sex, but also who you're having sex with or who you desire to have sex with. You know, those are some very, very difficult situations and they just don't have the tools to help folk reconcile that, to talk about, you know, uh, in what ways are we able to engage with this part of ourselves while also maintaining a level of fidelity to our ideals and our principles.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. You know, as as a priest of Ifa, you know, and coming out of those, coming out of that sort of tradition and being involved in the communities that that, that I'm in, um, you know, I look at sort of that need for us to then rethink a lot of things about how we approach sex. Like, it's always amazing to me, particularly given how many people come to EFA in rejection of white supremacy, in rejection of the church, but have never, ever once thought that their understandings of sex, sexuality, gender do not also carry the taint of white supremacy. They have just never never questioned it. Mm. And it's like Mm. for me, as somebody who operates in spaces where people are all across the gender spectrum, people are all across the sexual spectrum, doing all kinds of crazy things. These things are normal for me. I don't blink, it's not, it's not an issue. And so my understanding of sexuality uh, is like, when I think about sexuality and I think about the spiritual aspects of, a, of that, I think about sexuality mirrors the way spirit seeks intimacy with us, right? Yeah. So the intimacy mm-hmm. I seek with another person mirrors the intimacy spirit seeks to have with me, right? It's, it's an integration of the mind body, you know, sort of as opposed to sort of a rejection of the body.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I think we would probably get some some negative feedback and some some negative comments if we didn't ask a couple of things for our uh, our lukewarm E5 practitioners. You know what I'm saying? <laughs>
1: you,
2: know, <laughs> you know, the saints, you know, we're going to cover all the things that the saints want to hear. You know, those who are saved, sanctified and shielded with the holy spirit but for the lukewarm people we do not want to leave them out here because here at the who made your priest podcast we are servants and we serve everyone right so with that again this is for them this isn't for me (laughs) so so let's talk about what this thing really looks like right Mm -hmm. because according to my my google searches (laughs) There were things like kink parties and stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. So these types of things that go on in the BDSM community, like walk us through that. Like, what does that look like? Like one of these parties, like what's going on?
0: Okay. So, um, I guess, I guess you can start with if you, well, I guess you can look at it from a perspective, like if you wanted to sort of come kick it. Right. Um, Want to dip
2: your toe in the
0: water. You would dip your toe in the water. I think mm-hmm. the first thing you would start with is that you would find an online community. Um, you know, uh those used to be Yahoo groups back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are websites now, there are groups on Facebook. Um, there's Fat Life Now, which is a essentially Facebook for kinky people. Um and from there you can find you can find local events, you know, in your community that are you know, for whatever it is that is that you're looking for. Um, whether those are, you know, related to particular fetishes, whether those are parties, um, a variety of different, you know, kinds of situations or whatever it is that you're looking for. But most folks will start with what's called a munch. And a munch is essentially <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> Hey, that sounds wild already. Oh, Somebody be like, Hey, I'm going to this munch, you trying to go?
2: <laughs> You'd be like,
0: Oh, what you doing? Like, um, but uh, what a munch is is um, it's a it's like just going out to eat with other people who are in the community, and it affords you an mm-hmm. opportunity to go meet people, see who's around, um, and just get to know folks, and kind of takes the scare factor, right? But that's for a lot of people the first major hurdle, um, after you know sort of just admitting it to yourself and start you know looking around online. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the places uh will require you to go to a munch or two before you start getting invited back to like you know, parties and stuff like that, just so they can get a sense of you, get a chance to sort of vet you, see who you know, see whether, you know, your character's on the up and up. Mm -hmm. Make um, sure your freak
2: meter ain't way out of bounds.
0: I mean, it's not even like, (laughs) it's not even that, right? It's just, it's really Mm -hmm. about like, you want to make sure that, you know, you're going to respect people's privacy. You know, you're not going to create a situation because a lot of times these events happen in folks' homes, you know? Um, occasionally there are venues and stuff like that um but you know the the events you know vary uh you know they can be huge thousand person events you know over a thousand persons events you huge. know depending on where you're at what you're going on um i remember i used to throw parties several years ago we were doing maybe 70 80 people you know in a venue Things a lot like of Trojans. It's, it's a lot of situations <laughs> Um, so, like, that's kind of, uh, you want to go, and it's just about, like, getting to know people, getting to understand the community, so that people can develop a level of trust with you, and then you can get into some of the the, the events that you're actually looking to sort of participate in. Um, a lot of places will require you to go to, like, an educational. Um, most of these places will do, like, the one-on-ones. They give you the rundown on, like, you know, the culture, what to do, what not to do, um, give you an opportunity to perhaps uh, try some things. Um learn about different fetishes, you know, that you can participate in. So you can start developing um, you know, what you like and what you don't like. Mm.
2: Mm. So, so- <laughs> if you want to do more than just dip your toe in the water though, right? right. So when you get all past <laughs> the orientation, right? And they like, all right, now you invited to the big game. What does that look like for um, my lukewarm?
0: Um, what it there. looks like is going into a room full of people, um, and, I, and I'm telling you, it's not what the porn looks like. Um, anybody that goes in with that sort of kind of perspective is going to be disappointed because these are regular people, right? Not people who are being carefully selected and a part of an industry that's meant to sell you a fan an unrealistic fantasy. So these are regular folks, you know, Um You know, and you're going to go and you're going to see all different kinds of bodies, all different kinds of expressions and people doing their thing, Um, you know, for you to watch, you know, or for you to, you know, you know, see what's up. You know, you can see, um, you know, some different activities in action. Uh, What you see will kind of what you see will kind of vary based on where you where you are. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are certain areas that uh, have a that are like have more expertise in a certain area. So you go mm-hmm. one place, you may see a bunch of people doing rope, right? You go to another people place. Uh, you have a bunch of people doing like um needle stuff, um, piercings, things like that. You go someplace else and you see more people doing sort of impact with floggers and paddles and stuff like that.
1: Mm. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so the oh, picture, yeah. the picture I get in my head is like. Probably something I probably something I got off a movie or something that I saw on uh, some type of video. It's crazy because I had a friend of mine tell me about uh, things like uh, swingers clubs and
0: mm-hmm. yeah, uh,
1: what's the the thing in uh, Jamaica uh, well, hedonism. Got- all of all of all of these different mm-hmm. things. It was like it was it was crazy for me to hear about. Now I know people have that different kinks and fetishes, but I never thought about uh, an entire community actually getting together and participating in those things. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're we're living in a world that is less and less religious. And Mm -hmm. so you have more and more people who are, you know, going through their life and are looking for excitement. They're, you know, they're looking at their fantasies and are less constrained by Um, religious, you know, mores and values, uh, mores and values to be able to be like, go and explore. And so it's just more of a market, particularly post pandemic, because everybody was locked inside with nothing to do. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) was on OnlyFans exploring and saw some stuff that they (laughs) like. And so this is what it is
2: now. right. 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 So what's the, what's the thing called with the paddle? Like, does that have a special name, or is just, just spanking? It's, a,
0: it's just a particular implement. Okay. Wow. So
2: as so, how does um for my lukewarm followers they want me to ask these questions? <laughs> so how does one become the guy doing the spanking?
0: Um, you develop the skill. Right. Um, if you want to do it, it's really just simple. You go get a paddle, then learn how to spank someone. Uh, in a way that doesn't hurt, or not hurt, but in a way that doesn't harm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's about understanding where you can hit a person with that paddle. Uh, It's about appreciating um, the level of intensity, right? Because you don't want, you want to have an enjoyable sort of experience, or that bottom wants to have an enjoyable experience. Um, So, you know, they're going to have certain needs in terms of how hard they want to be hit or how hard they don't want to be hit places they do want to be hit, places they do and may do and do not, do not want to be touched. Um, you have to refine your uh, consent and negotiation skills. You know, so you have to understand what consent is. Um, you know, make sure that you're following through on that. Make sure you're having strong negotiations. And negotiation is essentially just a conversation where you and the person you were intending to to play with in, the, in, this, in this instance um, to give this spanking or this paddling to You want to make sure that, um, you know, you're adhering to the things that they need in order to feel safe and comfortable enough to allow you to do that. Mm
1: -hmm. Now, you use the word um, you said bottom. Now, Mm -hmm. usually when I hear the term bottom, uh, my mind immediately goes to uh, homosexual men. Mm -hmm. So how, so how, how are you using the term bottom?
0: I mean, kind of in the same way, right? So the bottom is the passive receiver, mm. and then the the top is the one doing the doing the work, so to speak. Mm. Mm.
2: So the man doing the spanking is the top, and the person mm. getting spanked, or the whoever. I guess it could be a woman. Yeah, <laughs> whoever doing the spanking is the top, and who getting spanked is the bottom, the bottom in that particular instance. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, according to my research, you know. I mean these paddles come in all kind of different shapes and different made out of different materials and that and the other. But I also see that they have like these things that's like um like old cowboy movies like the uh the thing, what's it called? The spur on the back
0: of the heel. Oh, Wartenberg wheel. Yeah, that thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then go ahead. So, that's a, so the Wurttemberg Wheel are generally what are considered sensation tools. So mm. one of the misnomers or misconceptions of, of BDSM is that everything has to hurt or that everything is pain-centered, cent- and that's not the case. Um, you can participate in kink and not inflict a, a lick of pain on anybody. Um, and so a Wurtenberg word is generally used in what's called sensation play. So it's a way of creating different sort of uh, sensations on a person's body, and it's not necessarily pain. So like wax play w- w- is often considered sensation play because it's not like, you know, painful. Um, you know, or temperature play is, is another way that's under, that wax plays understand because it's hot and then it cools off and hardens. Um, you know, there are lots of things you can do with ice. Um, that, you know, aren't painful. Can be uncomfortable, but aren't painful. Um, Wurtenberg wheels, uh, different kinds of materials. Um, you know, uh, there's fire people that use in sensation play, like they're a lot of torch. Um, there's uh, electrical devices, e-stem devices, violet wands and things like that that are used in uh, sensation play that are action electric current. Um, stuff like that.
1: So really people yeah. people like us would be considered vanilla, right? <laughs> cuz I don't cuz uh, a lot of these things I've <laughs> never heard of before and how do you find out what you like? Like with all of these different things out there from for people to derive sexual pleasure and gratification from how do you find out whether or not you like these types of things? Or how do you find out that you do like these types of things?
0: you um, your toe in the water. I mean, it's a, it's it's one of those things. That's, it's learned by doing. You go into a party, you go into an event, you hear a conversation about somebody talking about something, and then you're like, that sounds cool. And then you go and learn more. And then you try it, right? And then you decide, mm, I like that. And then you get a little deeper into it. Um, and then if you don't like it, you move on to whatever's next. Mm-hmm. So with that,
2: what was your first experience like at um, one of these uh, kink events?
0: <laughs> this is funny. Um, so I was super nervous about going to my first party because like, I was like, I'm going to get caught. This going to be a reporter there and I'm going to lose my job. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> so, I <was laughs> that, so I actually showed up to my first party in like a Bane mask. That's hilarious. Um, um, because like, you know, I grew up wrestling and I'm a big wrestling fan. So like, I just thought like a luchador's mask would look cool. Um, would it, and it would just be a part of it. until I got, you know, comfortable. Um, but it's also extra silly. Cause like I have terrible vision. So I have this mask on, I don't have my glasses on, so I really can't see.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. So
0: like, I'm trying to like navigate through this party. And then like, eventually I just like took the mask off and just, but like, I spent maybe my first two or three parties just like watching. And looking, look for what sound cool. Looking it up, um, and then I was uh, I was raised in this uh, community, uh, what's called old school. Uh, a good friend of mine calls it being classically trained. Um, and so I started on the bottom. So in order to develop experience on what it is to do something to someone else, I always experience it first. Mm. So before I started flogging people, I I got flogged a lot. Um, so that I could understand, you know, what that interaction, what it meant to be in that particular position. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've I've tried a lot of things, uh, or had a lot of things, tried a lot of things, bottomed for a lot of things, um, so that I could have that understanding, that empathy, you know, for what you know I may mm-hmm. be potentially topping on another person for. So like needles, electricity, fire, with various impact tools, I've experienced all of those. Uh, you know to understand what I'm going to, what I may potentially be doing to another person. Mm.
2: You know, spirit always knows how to come through. <laughs> because I was trying to figure out how do I ask him if he was a, <laughs> if he was a bottom. <laughs> <laughs> really I've done it all. I've done it all. And you know what? My bed, you just felt me, and he just went there with. Us. <laughs> See that's what happens when you go into the bodu together, and <laughs> just know. You know saying, yeah, you go back in the womb and you are reborn together. You just be on that type of that type of time with one another. So yeah, right. I was like,
0: man, how I asked
2: this, <laughs> right, right.
0: So, I've done it all. I was, uh, I actually, I had a mistress for eight years mm-hmm. uh, that I served, and she taught me a lot. She's really responsible for a lot of things I'm able to do now, and she really sort of guided me. Um, You know, and to a certain extent kept me safe in a lot of situations, because one of the things that happens is like when you're sort of brand new, you're running around, everything's cool. You want to do everything with anybody and not everybody's right for you. You know, Um, you know, some people play at an intensity level that you're not ready for. Um, Some people are, in fact, bad actors in the community. You know, everything has a light in the dark. Um, you know, and so, you know, being steered properly and things like that. So, you know, I, I, I give a lot of honor and respect to her for, for bringing me up, you know, and, and, you know, showing me the way in that respect. Mm. That's dope. That's dope. Now, as a man being,
2: Mm. um, a bottom specifically with like getting spanked, like, was that something that, that you liked? Like you were like, Hey, this is, this is all right. I can get into this.
0: So, um, it's 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 a different experience right because so much of it is battling you know what you have been taught being a man is about right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and 99% of men um if you tell them like hey come here we're going to take you to this place but you got to get spanked or something like that or that But we had to speak. They're going to be like, no, I ain't doing that shit. Like, whatever, whatever, whatever. That's not how we are socialized. It is perceived as weakness. And there are a lot of people in the kink community who are a lot of men in the kink community who are tops or who are dominants because they're men. And that's just what they believe they should be. Um, That is not Mm. really reality for people. Um, For a lot of folks, some folks would love being uh, submissive. Um, as well, or bottoming as well. Um, I wanted to, and I and I had done a lot of reading and sort of a lot of uh, internal battling with myself about it because I wanted to just experience it for what it was and try to be as free from from judgments as, as much as possible. And, and that really required me to sort of go into myself and understand and and sort of question some of the terms of masculinity that I've been taught and raised with. Um, And if I hadn't done that, I think I really would have cut my experiences short. I wouldn't be able to do some of the Mm. things that I would able to do now. I wouldn't have some of the sensitivities. I will in fact say that my time that I spent as a submissive has made me a better priest because it taught me about service, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm as really easy as a priest uh, to get into your ego, you got people debailling you. You have access to this information. You've gone through these rituals and ceremony. You know you have title now. Um, you know if you lack maturity, that'll go to your head. You know, um, and it'll turn you. You know, and it'll put you in a place of osobo for real, for real. Mm-hmm. Um, being in that position where you're submissive, where you have someone to answer to, where you have a certain set of responsibilities. Um, to another person um, impacts how I see my role as a priest. You know, I am a priest, I mean, first and foremost for myself, right? Uh, but in any community work that I do, it's a position of service. Absolutely. You know, like my job, my work as a priest to the community is to help other people. It's to be in service to them for their needs, you know? And so I take that very seriously. that's an ethic that I carry with me. Um, you know, so I'm I'm you know I'm happy that you know I was able to 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 get over myself in that particular situation. Um and then uh find someone you know who was you know who was on the up and up. Um but that's tough. That's a battle for a lot of folks. That's a battle for a lot of uh women and femme folks as well, because you know, a lot of them are, you know, that's a very vulnerable position to be in, you know, really. Um you know, but you see people, you know, spread across, you know that continuum. Um, there are some people who are submissive or more dominant with people based on their interactions um with them or the energy that they feel from the person. Um, so I am always constantly surprised to see spirit move in uh BDSM in unique ways. You can see, you know, you know, because of, you know, because we know that spirit speaks a language of sincerity, people moving in, with sincere energy, you know, you're watching in some cases healing take place, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're watching people let go of things in real time, um, you know, in in these, you know, amazing events. I remember um, I was at an event and I was watching someone uh, get, uh, I think it was, they were getting whipped while playing the piano and they were a child pianist and it was something that they had to do. This was like childhood trauma they were working through through this event and through this community, and like, and I just sat there and I was just like, "Wow, that's crazy!" Like I would have never, you would have, you could have told me something like that happens, I wouldn't believe you until I saw it. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, our, our our sexuality, our sexual expression, can be profound places of healing and and profound vehicles, you know, for us to get through some things, uh, you know, that we've been holding on to. Mm.
2: Man, that was beautifully said. There's, there's a piece in that where you were speaking. And I was thinking to myself, like, like this is Ifa. And I remember having a conversation with Araluo And him saying that, you know, he likes being around priests because his conversation all day, every day is Ifa. And what he was saying was he wasn't talking about like where he's sitting around with people literally talking about Orisha and Odu and ritual and things of that nature. But in the conversation and as his perspective on things is all tied to our spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. So when you were going through there in that piece and I was thinking to myself and I'm glad that you started talking about and relating it to you being a priest because I was thinking to myself. That right there is E5, and I don't think people other than people who are truly spiritualists would actually capture the spirituality in what you were saying. So mm-hmm. that was um, very beautifully uh, stated. So I wanted to ask so I remember last season mm-hmm. when we had the episode with all of the veggies, all 10 of us having a conversation. And in that, you talked about people in the BDSM community needing a priest. And I think you kind of maybe touched on that a little bit, you Mm -hmm. know, here a minute ago. But explain that a little bit more. Like when you were saying that, what did you mean by that? And what did you see or experience that, you know, that came from?
0: Sure. So um, the obvious answer is uh, divination is a cheat code,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: right? And so when you're talking about giving someone permission to run your life, right, that's a very vulnerable place to put in, right? Um, You can't do that with everybody. I would probably be safe to think that most people would be like, you can't do that with anybody. Um, You know, and on the other end of that, being responsible for someone else's For someone else like that, for being in charge of someone else, is also a very vulnerable position because when it go left, you was the one in charge. Mm -hmm. Um, So you know, those are very very vulnerable positions to be in. Um, People are sincerely seeking it out, and you know, it can be a dangerous position to be put in. when we're talking about, I mean, we can look at, you know, quote unquote, vanilla relationships and see how twisted up people get over, you know, their, you know, non-kinky relationships, right? Um, And then you want to add in, you know, this is a person, you know, who's in charge of my bank account, right? This is a person, you know, who's telling me when I can, where I can go, where I can't go. Um, This is a person... Who, you know, on the other end of that, if I have them doing service for me, this is a person who has keys to my home, my businesses or whatever, who's running things for me. You know, um, these require intense levels of, of of vulnerability. And not only not only that level of vulnerability, but the stakes are high. Right. You know, These are bodies on the line. If I have someone who's going to tie me up and put me in the air, they really got to know what they're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. You mess that up. You know, you get somebody nerve damage, you know. There are permanent injuries that can happen from some of the things that we're doing in Kinks. So um, it's not something to be approached lightly. And with anything that's not to be approached lightly, divination is always a plus. So being able to understand whether or not this person is best for you mm-hmm. is a really good thing to have at your have at your disposal. Um, to be able to have divination to help you process the lesson that you may need to learn from an unsuccessful relationship is a beautiful and wonderful thing. Um, you know, to be able to determine whether or not you should let this person do needles on you or flog you or uh, do fire play on you. You know, those are all important questions to ask that, you know, even now that, you know, when people ask me, you know, hey, are you going to be at this party You're going to be at this thing? I want to do this. I want to do that. You know, I want to, uh, you know, I get on the map for that, you know, and I ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, kink being kind of a taboo space can attack. Can attract some people, you know, who, uh, you know, who are bad actors, you know, who are, you know, seeking to to live out, you know, destructive fantasies, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. So you have to be careful of those kind of things. Um, you know, you have some people who are dealing and really struggling with some mental health stuff, um, who may be better, who may not need to be participating in the community. Those kind of things do happen as well, and I and I do want to sort of make a note there. Um, that that's not necessarily represented, that's not really representative of the entire community. But I mean, those things do happen and you got, you know, people who need some mental health support and, you know, vanilla relationships as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the, I think what is uh, the best part for me, however, is the cosmology of uh, IFA and the way that shifts our perspectives about some of the things that we're doing, right? So we look at IFA, you know, and the Yoruba culture at large, they have a different way of thinking about things than we do here in the West. And that contrast is very useful because it requires us to question things that we've taken for granted. Um, mm-hmm. And so, a lot of times, like uh, dirty talk and kink is about sort of embracing the way that uh, kinky communities are uh, sort of villainized as being immoral. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, we'll use certain terminology uh, that would be very, very insulting in the vanilla world, sort of. Uh, playfully uh, or as terms of endearment and things like that. Um, but sometimes people internalize those things. Uh, sometimes uh, that even, even if we're um, sort of, um, what's the word that I'm looking for here? Even if we are subverting uh, that language, right? That language still, that that subversion still depends on a particular standard being at work, right? Mm -hmm. Right, so if, like, we'll take the word whore or hoe, for example, that's a gendered slur towards women meant to dehumanize uh, and cow women into into bearing the burden of sexual morality in sort of Western society, because we tend to view women as property, we want to have legitimate children to pass down our property, all of that sort of patriarchal history and things like that.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, if we're in BDSM, Right. And we are in our present sort of in BDSM is a rejection of those things. Why are we then using this term in the way that we may be using this term? Are we aware of how we are using this term um, mm-hmm. when we're using it as a pejorative, you know, for example? And the Yoruba cosmology can help us um, reconstruct or help put those puzzles together about that's stupid right? Or I'm rejecting that particular thing, right? When you look at ancient African societies, you know, they have third and fourth genders, you know, they have, uh, they they do not have sort of the discrimination that we have here about being outside of the gender binary. There's a text out there called, uh, uh, um, I think it's Boy wives and Female Husbands, something like that, or, or whatever, I think it's a uh, b- male daughters, female, something like that. But there's a two couple of books. One of the offices didim is a if uh, ifia and then the other one is uh, by two anthropologists. But what those texts show is that you know pre, you know pre colonization, you know we had uh, an, an expansiveness to gender in Africa, you know which is an extraordinary contrast from what you may hear, you know, in the barbershop, for example, or in some of the the other places in some of the other communities. Mm -hmm. And so that cosmology, that that challenge to sort of Western society's uh, sense of what is normal, I think is very, very powerful and very, very healing for a lot of people. There are an extraordinary amount of people who are in BDSM because it allows them space to reject what has been placed upon them in Western society. You have people who are there, who are being creative, who are reveling in sort of their sexual energy because this is a place that allows them to do so without any repercussions.
1: Mm. Mm -hmm. So do you think that the BDSM community is solid? Do you think this is a fad? Do you think that this is uh, only going to be around for a season? Um, Is the BDSM community and the people that participate in those things, is this a trauma response? Um, or do you feel like this is something that's here to stay?
0: Um, I definitely think it's something that's here to stay, but it's not necessarily for everybody. Right. I think Mm -hmm. we are in a, a, a moment where it's very popular, right. And everything has its ebbs and flows. So it'll calm down, um, at some point or whatever, but, uh, whether or not you stay in it or not is really dependent upon you as an individual. There are some people who come around and they're there. and you know, It's a youthful indiscretion sort of thing. It's a fun story. I say, man, I, remember I used to go to these parties. You know, um, you know, I've got plenty of people who I'm still close to who don't come out anymore. You know, just because life responsibilities don't allow them. They have children, you know, they have, uh, you know, work responsibilities that keep them from being out. Um, I am a lot less active than what I was sort of in my 20s and early 30s, just because, you know, between being a priest, right, and priesthood and the responsibilities of that, the stuff we gotta learn, studying we have to do, um, as well as just like, you know, life and work responsibilities and just getting older, like getting, you know, running up to Baltimore, DC, you know, on a weekend to go to this party, Um, ain't really in the cars anymore. Like, right. like you just, like, I at 36, like, bro, I'm not going up there and coming back the same night. Like, I, ain't, I just ain't doing that. <laughs>
2: right.
0: You know, so it a lot of it depends on, you know, you as an individual, what your situation is. You know, I know people who have been around in BDSM 20, 30, 40 years um, who are around and teaching and educating. Um, so it just depends on what what you get out of the community. And a lot of that is what you put in it. You know, if you're just in, you know, looking for a little bit of fun, you may not be around very long, you know, not for any negative reason, but you know, you go, you have the experience and like, okay, that was cool. And then you're out, Um, you know, people find partners and relationships and then settle down and it's not something they do anymore. Mm -hmm. So it it really does vary. In terms of it being a trauma response, um, I think that is, that's a popular narrative that I think a lot of people in the BDSM community would find a little condescending. Just because of that's rooted in a, a stigma. A lot of people look at people who are in BDSM and think that BDSM is a symptom of their trauma. Mm. Um, and I think for most people, and I'm not saying that that doesn't happen, cause it does. But I don't think it's nearly as pervasive as as people would present it as. Mm. I would say that the BDSM community, for a lot of people, is a way that folk cope with their trauma uh, in a non destructive way. Um, You know, when you are, you know, particularly as we're talking about, you know, our LBGTQIA folks, right? Um, If you're asexual, right? And you are sex repulsed in terms of like penetrative sex. BDSM may be a way for you to interact uh sexually with a partner and connect uh in that energy with a partner where previously you just might not have that option, mm-hmm. or you feel coerced into doing something you don't even you feel repulsed by. It. Um it's a it's a method of 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 self-expression. Um, it's a place of freedom and acceptance, which you know, if you're you know a outlaw, right? World doesn't accept you, you're an outcast. That's a powerful thing. Like this is folks community. These are people who are like, you know, if I, if I was to get married, like my bridal party is kinky people. These are my folks, you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I'm saying? So I think it's community for a lot of people. The community Mm -hmm. is how we cope with trauma. Um, I don't think that trauma is necessary. Like, I don't think, like, I think a lot of times we talk about trauma. We talk about healing for trauma. Healing for trauma is not returning to the pre-traumatized version of you, right? That's done once the traumas happened, right? Mm. You know, what healing is, is not necessarily not being triggered, but understand I'm triggered right now. Here's how I deal with this constructively. Mm. And I think for a lot mm-hmm. of folks in the BDSM community who are struggling with trauma, BDSM is a part of their protocol for dealing constructively with that.
1: I, mean, I think that was beautiful mm-hmm. how you said that Um, dealing with trauma, you do not return back to your pre-traumatized self. I think uh, So I'm hoping that a lot of people didn't miss that, that you don't go back to who you were before you were traumatized. You just figure out a way to cope with the trauma or figure out a way, like you say, to understand that you are being triggered right now and how you work yourself through that. That's beautiful.
2: Absolutely. One thing I want to pull on a little bit where you were saying it's not a trauma response but it could be a way of coping with your trauma or for a lot of people it's that you know to me i look at those as semantics even though i know that trauma response has a negative connotation to it um but for me i would say a lot of people came to to african spirituality or other forms of spirituality whether it's yoga buddhism hinduism so forth and so on as a trauma response associated with organized religion. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes, and and we all know this, you know, as priests and being taught by our Luo, is that things that we ask for certain things to happen to us to help us grow, evolve, and push us towards our purpose. So if your purpose was to explore yourself sexually, then, and you came about that through a response or a way of coping, however you want to, you know, term it, with some kind of trauma, you know, to me, it's fitting, right? It's part of the medicine. And to me, that doesn't or shouldn't downplay whatever you turn to, as long as whatever you turn to is positive.
0: Right. And that's key, right? Um, you know, going back to sort of that question about how I respond to people who say like, how are you a priest in doing that? You know, again, the the goal for me in educating people who are not kinky is to help them understand where they get their ideas about this being a negative from, mm. right? Mm. Like, I want them to engage with that. Like, why is, you, why is your knee jerk reaction to someone, you know, having sex, arguably having better sex than you? as a a, you know as this negative by which you sit in judgment because it's different Mm -hmm. like i've I've, I've listened to people quote uh christian doctrine at me who aren't christians and i'm just like hey wait a minute what are we what are we doing here Right.
1: right
0: you know this isn't what you practice you don't care about that. Like you're very, Mm -hmm. you know, very, you know, sort of aggressive about not caring that, but here you're deploying it because I'm doing something different.
1: And a lot of times
0: folks just haven't been exposed to and haven't been challenged that way. I've had folks in the tradition be like, "Uh, I don't know, like, should you be doing that or whatever? But again, these are places where we haven't been challenged. And as a diviner, you know, people coming to my mat, this is a part of their lives, you know, not just kink, but like sex, sexuality, whatever, whatever these are things that are part of people's lives that somebody needs to have some focus on so that we can advise those people, you know, effectively. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, people are out here having sex, people are out here exploring their sexuality. And, you know, to get back to the question about like, you know, why did this community need a priest is that, you know, as somebody who has, you know, Done swinger things, who's been to kink stuff or whatever, I'm a safe place for you to go and talk and not feel ashamed. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Not feel uncomfortable, not feel judged. Right. And I think, you know, as as our Lua was found is is fond of saying, we have to find the middle. Right. Mm -hmm. And we have to Mm -hmm. be in that middle because if the last thing you want is to have a client on your mat lying to you, that complicates what I got to do. Right. 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 You know, that's a that's a that's a client disserving them not serving themselves well in that moment. Because the old ones are gonna fall the way that they need to fall. I'm gonna see it anyway. You just create more work for me because I got to now convince right. you, you gotta stop lying to yourself right. and lying to me in turn, right? You know, and so to be able to be in a situation where I can interact with these people as a uh, as a person who understands their stuff right person they don't have to justify themselves to you know i can open them up to this beautiful tradition that can really help them move forward help them heal and it's yeah. and, I, and for me that's probably you know that that that's such a huge thing you know to be a safe space for people to come you know because like you know these are these are the out, these are the outcasts these are the outlaws these are the people who have traditionally not had space Within this tradition and within religion and spirituality, you know more broadly, to be able to come, receive counseling, to be able to ask those kind of questions and not have to hide
2: absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I feel personally, and this to me is even going back to the story of Jesus and understanding who Jesus ran around with, according to the Bible. If you can't find a priest at a king party on the block in the club somebody and i'm talking to the priest somebody's not operating a purpose because we supposed to be not all of us are supposed to be in all of these different places but there should be a representation of the community or you know in the from the standpoint of priesthood in all of these different places right Mm -hmm. everybody needs a priest you know what i'm saying and people need priests that are relatable Right. To their specific mm-hmm. scenario, their specific situation, somebody that you that can say, "I understand," you know, what you know, what you're going through. I know what that looks like. Um, not saying because they try to necessarily pull you out of that, mm-hmm. but it could just be to help you navigate through it, right? Or to help you be in tune with yourself, help you be comfortable with yourself. So you can maneuver through those things more effectively. So, you know, I, I think it's beautiful, you know. And as a priest, hey, you never know where you might find me just <laughs> observing, you know what I'm saying? Right. Being right. a beacon for the people.
1: <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> I feel like that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast and uh, you know, uh kind of jokingly named it Who Made Y'all Priest? Because we wanted to present ourselves as You know, the everyday person, the everyday man that just happened to fall into some knowledge, happened to go through some ceremony, happened to be called priest now. But we are just regular, everyday, uh, down to earth, practical men doing this thing. And so I feel like we are relatable. We want to be relatable. We don't want to talk or speak from a raised stage. We kind of want to be down with the people. Uh, amongst the people in the midst of the people like pop already said the way that Jesus walked around with the uh with the sinners yeah we want to be that's where I want to be at i want to be I want to be with the sinners I don't want to be with the saints <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely that's not that's not even fun and like you know we talked about
2: before you know I mentioned it you know when people debol to me I don't want to have to hop off my throne in order to raise them back up I want to already be you know on my feet.
1: Mm-hmm. you know so yeah so i'm i'm one of those people that believe that people derive sexual pleasure from a wide spectrum of things like um it's said that the uh fear and uh pain responses are very close to sexual ones uh so what are your thoughts about that about Uh, deriving pain from, I mean, deriving sexual gratification from pain and from fear and from things like that?
0: Yeah, I mean, those are very common. Um, They're entire cakes that are rooted in, um, uh, rooted in fear response. Um, One of the most popular is interrogation play, um, where you're doing like a mock interrogation um, to with the purpose of, you know, figuring out like a secret or getting some piece of information. So, you know, uh, we're really creative about sort of creating those scenarios to sort of engage in those things. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of sort of the, uh, you know, some people like really like enjoy, uh, having the aggressive top. They want to feel a little bit scared, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that sort of thing in terms of pain response. I mean, um, pain is a as a physiological response is not really something that you can help. Like, you know, you stub your toe, you stub your toe, right? Um, But what you decide that pain means is a little bit more flexible. Mm. Um, And there are some people whose relationship with it is an endurance. So you'll have some bottoms whose goal in their bottoming is to endure whatever you dish out and then like talk shit to you about it. you know, and then there are some people who genuinely derive sexual gratification from pain. I have been flogging someone and they had an orgasm mm. on the cross.
2: Like and flogging, the- flogging.
0: Yeah. Ben, said, Yo, surprise a little bit daylight side of me. Like, and I, I know how this sounds. I know it sounds like I'm lying. I know it sounds like a whaler, but like, it's a thing that happens.
1: Wow. Wow, yeah, just um before before I met you, man, you probably could have told me any of these stories and and I believed it i just I just would have never believed that there were whole communities out there like this. Mm-hmm. I know uh, my experience with things sexual of that nature would all be considered uh sexual deviancy. Deviancy. Mm-hmm. so. Those, those are just things that uh that we wouldn't even consider.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean like even the it's even within even with within kink, like we the deviant thing is a joke. Like right. you know, because again, who is deviant and who is not deviant is a matter of who's oh. making moves, right? Right. You know what I'm those are all value judgments, and your value judgments are based on, the, on perspective.
1: Mm. You know. what got you what got you so weak five for it man you
2: you are hilarious <laughs> but I feel you but you know <laughs> <laughs> man, you
1: are hilarious though oh yeah my god no this is a this is a beautiful conversation because I think uh especially amongst us and especially amongst the people that are gonna eventually uh watch this and listen to this that uh this is a conversation that needed to be had um so that people can understand that priests, that we are out here amongst the people doing a myriad of things.
2: Absolutely. I think I would be good at uh, interrogation play. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm uh, I think I would be good at that. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think most, more than anything, I think I want people to take away that uh, is to start digging into some of our areas of sexual shame. Mm. And start thinking about um, what our sexual practice means about us as individual, right? Look at it as a as a vehicle and as a window um, to better understand ourselves, you know. And you know, look at it through the framework of like you know, like you know, we shangos, right? So, <laughs> you know, as a shango person, you know that. Oh. Was, you know, as that lust for life, as that, you know, sort of masculine virility, you know, and then I'm participating in sort of the sexual lifestyle, where does that come into play? You know, start using our sexuality as a tool to learn and understand more about ourselves, you know? If we are, you know, you have that, if you have that Yamaya energy, you know, that nurturing and nurturing other people um, more than yourself, like, is that showing up in your sex, you know? Mm -hmm. Are you being fulfilled, you know? Or are you fulfilling someone at the expense of yourself? Are you okay with that? You know, so these are questions that I think are really important uh, for folk to ask ourselves. I, I want people to sort of do that kind of introspection um, and start thinking about how this cosmology, how the cosmology of this tradition, um, what this tradition teaches us and start applying it to areas of our lives that we're scared to talk about, mm-hmm. because that's where growth happens.
1: Right. Right. You I should. know. You know, this isn't the first episode that we've had when we Mm -hmm. talked about sex. Uh, Mm -hmm. And even in that episode, we talked about the topic of sex being Mm -hmm. taboo and uncomfortable Mm -hmm. to talk about. Um, Do you find that in the kink community that sex is a lot easier to talk about? And because of that, the sex is more gratifying that the sex is better in the kink community?
0: So I will say yes and no to that question. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say yes to that question because there's a level of intentionality in kink that makes a lot of things that normally wouldn't be possible, possible, right? Um, So being able to say, this is what I want, this is how I want it, Um, and uh, this is where we go meet and all that, being able to have frank conversations about that makes everything better. This is how folk are getting able to live sort of these fantasies. you know, that they like, or getting able to live in, in these arrangements that suit them better um, and suit their sexualities better? I will say no, because, you know, we have sort of still have this impact of uh, Western sexual values that still, in, that still impacts the kink community, where some people feel like um, that BDSM should not include sex, or that if you're, interested in sex or trying to have sex with people that you're playing with that you're not like you know sort of like officially a part of this community it's just a vehicle for you to get sex um and there's some people who feel negatively about that so you know it really just depends um personally for me part of the reason i am participating in this community is because i enjoy sex um so like i share me it's a to me that's a consent issue if you want to have sex you need to ask if that's appropriate and learning how to ask is a skill that you have to develop Mm. Mm. because I, you know, and I say that because there are a lot of people who will come in and they're like, they'll come in and they'll play, but not all play leads to sex. So every time you spank somebody, that don't mean you fun to, you know, has sex or whatever. And so you have to approach that conversation. um, And every interaction or relationships that may not be appropriate, you know, Mm.
1: Yeah. I learned I learned so much in this episode. Uh I, I feel like uh every time I'm introduced to something that I'm ignorant about, uh I walk away with a new vocabulary. <laughs> I walk away with uh having learned uh new words. Uh again, I think that this was an episode that needed to be had. Uh Fafora and myself, we talked about this. About this episode, about talking about things that we feel like are on the fringe of society, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, kind of wanting to reel those things back in and uh, talk about those things freely and comfortably, and yeah, I think I think we accomplished that with this episode.
2: Absolutely, I always say an uh, occupational an occupational hazard of being priest is the lens in which we view everything. And I am greatly appreciated. And this goes back even before me being a priest, just me being a Virgo, being a life path seven. People who can speak about their thing, whatever that may be, intelligently is beautiful to me. I don't care if it's something I'm into. I don't care if it's something I agree with or disagree with. I love When someone has something that they are passionate about or interested in and they actually are in it to the point where they can speak intelligently about it. And the way that you spoke about this community, the insight that you gave was beautiful, was beyond beautiful. And for that, I am appreciative of that. And I thank you um, because you really showed how spirit shows up in that community mm-hmm. and everything is spirit as we say as above so below so spirit is everywhere spirit is in, in murder spirit is in gift giving it's in gratitude it's in everything so thank you for shedding light on this community and doing it so beautiful i think people watching this who are a part of that community will give you a standing ovation
1: i
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate y'all for giving me the space to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart.
2: Ache, Ache. Um, thank you, family, for joining us on another great episode. Uh, thank you, Ibeji, for being a, a part of this with us. You know, the holy Odu Otori Meji says, That by knowing yourself and through self-discovery, you attract the things, the people, the opportunities, the places that are in alignment with you. Um, The beautiful part about self-discovery is it helps eliminate the fear of being who you are, regardless of how you view your purpose, how you view the thing that you are drawn to if you are comfortable in yourself because you know yourself it allows you to live freely so as i've been doing the last couple of years or the last couple of seasons i'm going to end it like i always do life is for the living you know live out loud and on purpose till next time we love you
1: peace
0: peace peace out.